Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And hey there, everybody. Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am your host, Jay Madison, along with my good friend and uh, co-host, Mr. Ron Robbins. How you doing there, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Jay. Uh, beautiful day here in uh, upstate New York. Uh, we uh, we don't have hurricanes, right? Yes, I. we can say that. Yeah. You know, uh, I, we might have blizzards, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But uh, so my house in Florida survived okay. We're inland, but... Uh, yeah, you're that, down near Okeechobee, right? Yeah, we're in Okeechobee. Uh, so we, uh, we had not a lot of rain, a lot of wind, a lot of sustained winds, up to 100 miles an hour in town. Wow. Uh, talked to several uh, farmers in the area this morning, uh, got a bunch of reports, uh, uh, the ones... Farms towards the West Coast had significant damage and some loss of livestock, so our hearts go out to them and prayers for all the people that uh, are in harm's way there this morning. Boy, I guess so. And and before we go any farther, I want to bring in our guest early because of his role. Yeah. Uh, and talking about the weather, that's uh, Dr. Scott Steiger. He is a meteorologist, a professor of meteorologist down at the SUNY Oswego College, uh, my old stomping grounds, and he's the director of the Lake Lake Effect Storm Prediction and Research Center down there at SUNY Oswego. Uh, Dr. Steiger, how are you doing this morning, sir? Morning, very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I wanted to bring in, uh, you know, we started right into yeah. uh, talking about the, talking about the weather like usual here. Yeah, we always, of course, you got to know, Dr. Steiger, that uh, Jay and I are obsessed with uh, the weather. The weather, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and especially the impact the lake has on the weather. Yes, we, we consider ourselves to be... Uh, you know, very good predictors of the weather, although our percentage is probably like 20. Yeah. <laughs> 20%. So. Uh, it's just a little under the average meteorologist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I uh, our farm sets uh, right off the lakeshore uh, just uh, between Sackets Harbor and Henderson. And, uh, of course, I grew up there and watched the weather patterns coming off the lake ever since I was a little boy and, and uh, always just took <clears> – <throat> excuse me, always took a, a real interest in in the impact the lake has on on weather and the microclimates that exist in our area uh, because of the lake. Yeah, and that's what got me into meteorology, to be honest with you. I grew up west of Rochester, New York, and the lake effect that would miss us and hit us really brought up a lot of curiosity, and I was I didn't, even, I didn't. I didn't even get mad when we get missed by the lake effect snow. So that was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun time. But that, that got me into weather, the lake effect. Now, and I've always heard this mythical place known as a Swigo, like all this snow, and that's what really drew me to the area. Yeah, well, and it it does. I mean, even up here, you know, I live in Lorraine, and we're, you know, we're about halfway up the Tug Hill Plateau. And people will say to me, oh, well, you're in the snow belt. You get more snow than anybody else. And I, I correct them and say, well, yeah, Redfield, those areas get more snow. But if there's a snowy place on the face of the planet, it is the city of Oswego. Yeah. Because they stick out into the lake. And no matter where that belt is, they're getting some snow. Yeah. And, and, 
it seems like uh, Swigo, no matter which direction the wind's blowing, because they do stick out in the lake. Right. I mean, they get it, no matter if it's southwest, if it's north. Yeah, you know. it doesn't matter. They're, yeah. get, they're getting yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Not the wind. The wind is ferocious on, on this campus and in this city <laughs> during the winter. Well, that's, I tease people about the ropes that they used to tie between the buildings during the wintertime, and people will go, huh, what? Did they tie <laughs> ropes between the buildings? Well, they do. Yeah. I don't know if they still do, but I know they did back then. Wow. But, there's controversy whether or not that was for the wind or because of construction. And, and they, <laughs> they left the ropes up over the winter. So I don't know. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it sounds more dramatic when it's because of the wind and the yep. snow. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, and uh, Ron, you had mentioned, you know, the impacts of the hurricane. And, um, uh, you know, I just wanted to send a shout out as well to everybody. I've got family uh, that lives on Matt Lachey Island just outside of Fort Myers. And right now we're trying to get in touch with them because we haven't heard from them mm -hmm. since before, mm -hmm. the, uh, before the hurricane. And Matt Lachey Island, for all intents and purposes, was wiped out mm -hmm. uh, by both sides of the eyewall. So they, they were hit hard. Holy cow, just crazy. Dr. Steiger, um, you know, one of the reasons we brought you on the show today was we're really excited and interested to hear about the research project that you're involved with, uh, uh, along with, let's see, I believe the National Severe Storms Laboratory is involved in this, Georgia Tech is involved in this, <clears throat> SUNY Oswego is involved in this, and it's something that you know we hear about up here and we get such an influx of new people every two years through Fort Drummond. They hear about, oh, thundersnow. What is thundersnow? And you're actually involved in a study that's sort of looking at thundersnow. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yes. To start, we should go back to, we had a field project about nine years ago um, called the OWLS, or Ontario Winter Lake Effect Systems Project. And the big goal of that project was just to, with all the new instrumentation we have now, like the Doppler on Wheels radar truck, we wanted to get a better sense of what makes lake effect storms tick so we can better predict them, for example. Um, one of the side findings during that project was we expected to get lake effect lightning during these storms. That's not, all, not every storm, but some of the storms. But we expected most of the lightning to be out over the lake where it's much warmer and there's a lot more liquid water in the clouds. Um, but instead, we noticed that all the lightning happened inland. Mm -hmm. And that really raised a big question in our mind, like, why? So um, one of my prof fellow professors who was on the project with me mentioned, well, didn't they just put up wind turbines in that area of the Tug Hill where we saw a lot of the lightning during lake effect storms? And it was like an aha moment. We're like, I, yeah, yeah. So we really think that putting up those wind turbines east of Lake Ontario has changed the lake effect lightning climatology to move a lot of lightning inland. Really? Yes. You're breaking up just a little bit there, Dr. Steiger. That's interesting. I never I never thought about that. Now, I I will say that um, you know, having grown up in this region, and I know this is all anecdotal, uh, you know. The lightning that I have experienced during thunderstorms, I would say it was all, you know, all inland type lightning. I'm trying to think if I've noticed more or less lightning 
over the years. But that is interesting mm -hmm. that potentially there's a correlation between the wind turbines and the inland lightning frequency. Huh? Especially during the winter. Especially during the winter because during the winter, clouds are lower to the ground. Right. And literally, you can think of the turbines, the blades poking the cloud and maybe enhancing the electric field which can lead to more lightning in that area. Well, that that is interesting. So, okay, so let's back up. Tell us about, before we get too much into that, tell us about the study and what you're doing now. So this, the current study is a National Science Foundation-funded uh, project. It's called Project LEE, where uh, it stands for Lake Effect Electrification. So the main a few goals with the project, we're trying to better understand how lightning develops in wintertime uh, storms. And we're also trying to understand the electrical charge structure in lake effect snow clouds. We believe it's never been studied before how the electrical charge regions set up in lake effect clouds. There's been a lot of studies that study how electrical charge regions form in typical summertime thunderstorms across the country. But very few, uh, if any, with, with snowstorms. And to do this, we're, we're setting up a few um, state-of-the-art instruments. For example, there's a lightning mapping array that we're setting up around the Tug Hill Plateau. And all that is is a bunch of uh, sensors, maybe about, in total, it's probably going to be near 20 sensors that um, we're putting on places like farms, the airports, and school. some of the school districts have donated their land for us to put some of this instrumentation on their property. And essentially, they're they're just complicated AM radios. <laughs> they're when lightning. Never listen radio during a thunderstorm. You'll hear the static from lightning. Right. And what that is is uh, radiation. Every time a lightning bolt hits, the radiation is being emitted by that lightning bolt that interferes with, let's say, your AM radio station. Well, these sensors we're putting around the Tug Hill um, detect that specific kind of radiation lightning emits, and from you know, having all these sensors around and getting all those electromagnetic waves interacting with the sensors, we can pinpoint where pieces of lightning are occurring and then map a whole flash out. It's kind of like connect the dots. And that's really neat, neat stuff. I mean, you can literally see all the um, branches in a lightning bolt with this instrumentation, with the, with the data we're collecting with this instrumentation. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the, uh, the information that you sent um, that showed some of the readouts and it i mean this data collects it both in altitude in, uh um, i'm trying to remember in distance across the uh across the um atmosphere i want to say yeah. uh, but also it's like a three-dimensional map of that lightning bolt correct yes yeah it's really most most people, when you look at, let's say you have an app on your phone that shows radar data and maybe lightning data, the lightning data is like a point, just showing you where the right. flash on the like on the plan view, you know, um, east, west, north, south. This data will also give you where the lightning's occurring and altitude, and actually map out a whole lightning flash, not just to show it as one dot. And that's where it's unique. Hmm. So, uh, so basically. The, the instruments that you're distributing across, you know, northern New York, southern, well, uh, central New York, within the snow belt, um, that is just uh, three-dimensional mapping equipment. What else does it measure? Well, we from where the lightning's occurring, we can determine where the electrical charge regions are in the storms, and that will help us to better understand, you know, how 
charge is getting separated that can make the lightning. It'll also, this instrumentation, the data from it will also maybe show us if the lightning is hitting the wind turbines. Hmm. So that will help us know whether or not the turbines are indeed initiating the lightning. Um, and this has broader implications, too, than beyond lake effect. Uh, it, because lake effect clouds are so close to the ground, we're going to be able to sample um, how electrification happens in ways that you really can't with a typical summertime thunderstorm because processes are going so many more miles above the ground that we can't maybe measure as well. So, you know, lake effect, what we discover with a lake effect storm and how electrification and lightning occurs will also give us broader ideas of how generally electrification occurs in thunderstorms. You know, we we had a, um, you know, a rule of thumb. I, I, I don't know if that's even the proper way to refer to it, but I can remember talking with my dad, and I don't know if, if you and I have shared this, Ron, but, you know, generally we thought that if, if we were seeing lightning during a lake effect storm, that that was an indication that the storm was in a process of intensifying, that it was starting to build a, a stronger lake effect band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- will your research help uh, prove that information out at all? Yes. Um, and, and not only is the band maybe intensifying when we get more lightning in it, it may or may not be. That's a, that's a big question we're going to try and try and answer. But also, it may be telling us that there's different kinds of snowflakes forming and ice particles forming in the clouds. Um, one of the key ingredients to get lightning in any storm is to get these ice particles we call grapple. Have you ever heard of grapple before? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Been hit by it, it yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, been hit by it? Hit by it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, anyways, that the grapple was coming down. Yeah. And, you know, as it turns out, that grapple is key to getting electrification and lightning. So, And the thing about grapple, if you get more grapple in a lake effect storm, this, that's actually going to cut down on the snowfall rate. Okay, why is that? Grapple is, is uh, like dense ice particles. It's it's like the developing hail. It's, it's kind of like hail, but not mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, grapple falls on the ground. It doesn't really pile up quickly. Whereas when you have snowflakes, what I like to call the Charlie Brown snowflakes, you know, these big rights, when they fall, snowflakes will will, will accumulate quickly because there's a lot of air between them. With grapple particles, that's not the case. So you actually cut down on snowfall when you get more grapple in the lake effect snowstorm versus snow. That makes sense. So, So, so... The grapple has has an impact on the generation of the electrical charges or whatever that caused the lightning during a storm. Then potentially, if, if you're seeing the lightning, an indication of more grapple, I think, then potentially you're not going to see the amount of lake effect. And I'm, I'm drawing conclusions that, yeah. you know, <laughs> in my amateur oh, yeah. mind. Yeah. But, but, yeah, go in there. Yeah. But so... Well, that's interesting. So the other thing that I was curious about, and I I know this is really stretching things here, uh, but I was reading about lightning studies uh, during the summertime and how uh, they were looking at relationships between uh, lightning and the potential to generate tornadoes. you know, obviously we don't see tornadoes off of lake effect snowstorms, 
But sometimes you do see miniature rotation in these storms, don't you? Yes, yes. And you can get tornadoes in Lake Effect bands. Uh, water spouts are tornadoes. And um, they, they happen a lot. Especially. That's true. So very different processes, though, between... I, for my PhD work, I actually did study how lightning could be maybe related to tornado development. But very different processes. Most of the tornadoes that we studied out in the middle of the country were associated with what we called supercell thunderstorms. Right. Um, very different from lake effect snowstorms. Um, so there could maybe be a relationship between when we get lightning and lake effect and maybe when more water spouts are likely in a lake effect storm. That that That's something that's re- really kind of unclear to me how they, they, they could be related. Um, whereas during summertime thunderstorms, we have decent hypotheses relating the two but um that that's certainly something we can look into um to see how when lightning occurs is it related to when we get these local spins in the band or when we get water spout now i'm going to change subjects on you again (laughs) i apologize (laughs) i just have so many questions because you don't worry you, you fell right into a strong interest area for ron and i here uh, Ron and I have been talking recently that we don't see the, um, or at least we don't believe we're seeing the intense, heavy lake effect storms like we used to Correct. in the 70s, you know, late 60s, storm of 66, that's me, um, storm of 72, ruined my birthday party. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Obviously left a mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has, you know. The only people that ever came to my birthday parties when I was growing up were people stranded at our house, literally, <laughs> literally. Um, but anyways, yes, you can tell I've got a little, uh, you know, trauma. I've been traumatized by these lake effect storms over the years. Uh, but anyways, we were talking about the other day, it doesn't seem like here in, um, you know, in the last two decades that northern New York, anyways, has had the intense lake effect snowstorms that we've had previously. I mean, we've had a couple, but not like we used to. No, in fact, uh, you know, I I think back 20 years ago, there would be days and days where, I mean, it just set in and just snowed. Snowed and snowed and snowed. And just didn't stop. Yeah. And, you know, they would, 81, for instance, between... Pulaski and Adams somewhere, or Central Square and Adams, you know, would be shut down basically for days. Yeah. And, you know, you if you were in Syracuse and needed to get to Watertown, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, so with that said, are we off our rockers, or is that a trend that has been occurring? No, I don't think you're off your rockers. Um, it, it, anecdotally, at least, it does seem like our winters are getting – a weaker in terms of lake effect snow. So because of that, I actually worked with some students to figure out, um, we used a statistic, like the number of days we had one inch of snow in the ground in Oswego per year. Mm-hmm. And then like number of days we had six inches of snow on the ground per year. Number of days we had 10 inches of snow, um, you know, on the ground per year. We didn't really notice much of a trend. Um, what I think is happening is that we're getting a lot more thaws in between the snowstorms. So, yeah. you know, for grass, let's say, during the winter, because, you know, we still get snowstorms, but there's a lot more warming periods between those snowstorms. I haven't done research on that yet. That's the next maybe step to go. Um, but at least that's my, my hypothesis of what's going on. 
Now, the big lake effect snowstorms where you get, let's say, five feet in one snowstorm, you know, are those decreasing as we go year by year by year? I, I don't know. Um, it definitely feels that way, at least in the Oswego area, and it sounds like in your area, right. that big snowstorms just are not happening as frequently per year. And that's certainly something that we could do research on, um, you know, as we go forward. We're putting a lot on his table, yeah, there, Ron. Yeah, he's yeah. got a lot of work to do. Yeah, and we're going to want answers. <laughs> <laughs> Always said the best research research that leads to more questions than answers, and you're, you're hitting on a lot of good questions that we just have a lot more work to do as we go forward. Well, I mean, and like you said, it uh, lake effect snow uh, apparently has not been as well studied, or at least. The lightning in lake effect snow has not been as well studied as uh, other weather events. Is that correct? Is that did I hear that correctly from you, sir? Yeah, I mean, lake effect snow in general. There's a lot of body of research now in lake effect snow. Um, not so much over Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, but we we the Owls Project back in 2013-14 that did a lot of good research on Lake Erie and Lake Ontario lake effect snowstorms, because as you might imagine, the character of lake effect snow off of the eastern Great Lakes is quite different from the character off the western because of just different lake shapes, for example. Mm -hmm. In terms of the lightning, the lightning, you know, it's been studied off of, uh, like, off the Sea of Japan, they get sea effect snow. It's been studied off the Great Lakes. It's been studied off the Great Salt Lake off of U in Utah. But in terms of getting at the electrical charge structure in these kind of storms, lake effect or sea effect storms, we really don't have that that question answered very well. And that's a big point of this project. Hmm. Very interesting. We're talking with Dr. Scott Steiger. He is the, a professor of meteorology for SUNY Oswego and the director of lake effect storm prediction and research, uh, the research center down there at SUNY Oswego. And for those of you that might be listening elsewhere to the podcast today uh, and might be going, what the heck is lake effect snow? We probably should have answered that yeah. question early on. So Dr. <laughs> Steiger, we're going to throw that in your lap. We should have answered that question up front. What is lake effect snow? The lake, lake effect snow, or you can get lake effect rain. So I'll, yeah, we yeah. did the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just call it lake effect precipitation in general. Occurs whenever you have cool air moving over a relatively hot body of water. And what that does is essentially it creates convection, just like you might see in a boiling pot of water, right? Mm -hmm. You're at the bottom of the pot of water, and you get these convection currents stirring up the water. Well, same thing goes with lake effect snow in that it's, except it's air that's being kind of bubbled up, if you will, off of the hot lake surface, relatively hot lake surface. So, for example, I mean, Tuesday, Tuesday when we had all that lake effect rain, the lake surface temperature right now is near 70 Fahrenheit, whereas up in the, you know, a mile above the lake during that event, it was closer to uh, like 40 Fahrenheit. So it was much colder mm, relatively. Yeah above the lake then at the lake surface. And that gets a lot of convection, what we call convection, where you have air mixing and vertically. And then the other ingredient is off the lake, you're evaporating water. And that leads to the development of clouds because that water vapor, if it's brought upward, will cool and condense and form clouds. And if those clouds get deep enough, you get precipitation. 
And that's how lake effect uh, forms. And then with the wind, if you have the right wind direction, let's say westerly across Lake Ontario, that's going to lead to what we call a long fetch, where the air travels across the lake, picking up a lot of that heat and moisture and making these bands of clouds and precipitation. And if the wind direction doesn't change, that band of rain or snow will sit over the same area for hours and hours and hours, leading to a lot of precipitation under that band and sunny skies maybe on the edges of those bands, maybe five, 10 miles away. So that's what makes Lake Effect kind of really unique in that it can be such heavy precipitation over an area for a long time. And then just outside of that band, it's sunny. Yeah. And we can attest to that. Yeah. One of the most pronounced events it really wasn't an event, but one of the uh, times where I saw a huge, huge, significant difference between a lake effect band and not being in a lake effect band was actually when I was duck hunting on Lake Ontario. Uh, I think it was around December 30th. It was the lake duck hunting season down in Oswego Harbor. And mm. my brother and I were just outside the East Break Wall in Oswego, and, you know, the, wet, the weather was windy and nasty, but over us, it was relatively clear. But it looked like maybe a mile or two out on the lake, there was just this nasty, boiling, you know, rotating line of dark, dark, ugly-looking clouds. And it was streaming right down the lake towards the Watertown area. And yeah. so we weren't getting the lake, lake effect right there at Oswego Harbor, but you could tell just out over the lake, it was bad. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Now, does lake levels have anything to do with, you know, lake temperature and ultimately leading to lake effect? I mean, we see now it's almost commonplace in September uh, you know, end of August, lake levels start to drop substantially. Um, and, you know, you, you end up with a lot of, lot, maybe a lot more stagnant water along the shorelines. Does that have any impact or not? Not that I'm aware of, Ron. I, I, I think, you know, I agree with you. The lake levels start to lower. My dad's a boater, so I'm kind of aware of how he, yeah. he always boat out early in September because he get, starts hitting the bottom <laughs> where he is. But yeah. Don't think the lake levels affect the temperature at the surface. I'm not aware of any process that would cause that. I mean, it could be. Um, but more importantly than even lake temperature, because I hear that a lot nowadays. Like when it's warm, the lake water is warmer than normal. People are like, oh, it's going to be a bad lake effect snow season. Not necessarily, because you need the right wind direction and back temperature in the air. If you have a due north wind of really cold air going over across the lake, let's say in January, you're not going to get good lake effect because it's going to be dry air, Yeah, a short fetch across the lake. So warmer, I mean, if you do have the right conditions and the lake is warmer than normal, yes, it will create more intense lake effect snow. But a lot of people this time of year, especially my neighbors, I'm walking down the street, oh, it's going to be bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the lake is warm. And it's like, uh, maybe, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'll tell you in March. Yeah. That's my reply. Yeah. And when people ask me, for example, this time of year, will the, this winter be worse than normal? I just say, uh, it's it's going to be snowier and colder than now. I mean, we really don't have <laughs> <Yeah. it. laughs> 
they really don't have a skill in meteorology to really predict what a lake effect season is going to be like, let's say two or three months at a time. Yeah. E- even anything, you know, what I've seen over the years and I'm not a meteorologist don't even claim to be, but you know, forecasts that are even three days out for lake effect snow. Um, there's so much that changes in that three day period that it's, it's really, I mean, it, it's, it's an alert, but it still can change so much in that three-day period. Yeah, and that's that's going to cause a, prob- a a challenge for us this year with our project because um, we're flying in the scientists, you know, for each event from like Colorado, Colorado, Oklahoma. So I have to have a good idea three or four days ahead of time whether or not we're going to get the lake effect mm-hmm. band going to happen well give ron and i a call we'll yeah, help you out yeah okay. yeah <laughs> we're, we're good predictors <laughs> yeah, in our now, minds. now we've been here in the last few years i don't know it just seems like it's to me it's kind of a new weather phenomenon phenomenon but uh you know these so-called stratospheric warming events which ultimately push out the cold air out of the you know the the, the north pole or the yeah. south pole i guess either one right and then ultimately that cold air dives down and, you know, creates uh, all kinds of havoc and, you know, can potentially lead to lake effect events because you got that cold wind diving down. And is that, I mean, are we just learning about some of that stuff or has that always been there and just, you know, we're well, just becoming more public knowledge? I think meteorologists have known about these uh, stratospheric processes for maybe a couple of decades and... Relating it to um, the troposphere, which is where we live, um, and how the jet stream changes its configuration, um, that that you know been new to the public. I would definitely say where meteorologists are, you know, and social media helps with this, obviously, because I mean I don't know if you remember the term polar vortex. Yeah, right, right, right. right. The polar vortex is not new. All right, that's something that meteorologists have known for quite a bit of time, but. When, when the polar vortex kind of elongates and, and extends southward, let's say, toward central North America, that can set the stage for cold air outbreaks that can then lead to lake effect snow events as well. Um, but, you know, making that connection and the predictability, for example, when we have these stratospheric warmings or when the polar vortex will be nudged out of the, out of the North Pole area towards us, Predicting that way in advance, let's say weeks in advance, is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. But a week or two in advance, we have some skill, and I think that's when meteorologists will start to mention it in the news, and then Twitter will light up with the polar hashtag polar vortex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do want to warn you, though, just because we get the cold air, let's say, from the polar vortex moving towards us, doesn't mean we're going to get heavy lake effect snow, because right. if the winds aren't the right direction across Lake Ontario— it just would be cold, but we won't get a lot of snow necessarily. Right for here, for here in Watertown, you really need a, a, a south southwest. Well, not south, but a southwest wind. Yeah, um, yeah. to to push the band basically bringing Watertown. that air all the way up the lake. Right, right. You know, coming from the southwest, and that brings it right over Watertown, brings it right out towards Fort Drum. Right. For for the Adams area where I live, it's it's more of a west southwest wind. Right. You know, I don't know how many degrees difference that would be, but you know, it, it, we need more of that west southwest wind for right. 
the Adams area to get it. And if I hear anything about you know west northwest, then that's going to move it down to Pulaski Oswego. Yeah. So. And we and this week, I mean, it was interesting because you know Monday. Uh, that lake effect rain pretty much stayed north of Watertown for a while. Yep, and we we would get little bouts of it, but you know we didn't get the extended period of time. And then Tuesday, it just came right off, you know, between Plasky and Oswego, and just rained like it never rained before. Well, I got I had a band of lake effect over over us in Adams. Um, that was pretty intense. I forget whether it was Monday night or Tuesday. Uh, and that trained the, uh, I, I, I don't know whether they were embedded thunderstorms or just lightning, but uh, whatever they were within that band, it trained them. I mean, mm-hmm. for probably two to three hours, we would you'd hear one storm coming, that would pass, then you'd mm-hmm. hear another storm, and the lightning was pretty intense during that. Yeah. Yep. But but we're 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 diving into Dr. Steiger's time here. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Scott Steiger. He is a professor of meteorology at SUNY Oswego and director of the Lake Effect Storm Prediction and Research Center there at SUNY Oswego. And we've been having a great conversation. I just want to go back and uh, summarize again for anybody that joined us late uh, the the lightning research that you're doing. Uh, studying lightning in lake effect storms off of Lake Ontario, and in particular, your interest in any potential correlation between the the wind turbines on Tug Hill mm-hmm. and whether they're impacting, uh, you know, the generation of lightning events uh, during lake effect storms. Just real briefly, would you summarize that again for us, sir? Sure, sure, yeah. So the project is it's a National Science Foundation-funded project. Um, it's titled uh, Lake Effect Electrification, or LEE for short. And meteorology, we love our acronyms. LEE <laughs> uh, is on the LEE side of Lake Ontario, so that's why we came up with that name. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and and, I, and I, I do want to acknowledge my um, colleagues, um, sure. you know, from University, uh, sorry, Texas Tech University, uh, University, um, Alabama, Huntsville, uh, you know, o- Oklahoma University National Source, National Severe Storms Laboratory, and, and then there's SUNY Oswego as well, um, and then Georgia Tech as well. You know, so that there are five main organizations involved that wrote this grant, and um, very grateful to all my colleagues. But the main goal of the project is to understand with lake effect storms, how the clouds um, get electrified and then produce lightning. Um, we're, we're interested in lake effect storms that don't produce lightning as well, That because there will be electrification within them, but might not get to that threshold that initiates the lightning. And then further, we're trying to understand, for example, how the um, wind turbines may be initiating their own lightning as well during these storms, because the clouds are so close to them that, you know, the turbine tips are kind of poking the bear, if you will, when sure, they go sure, into yeah. the clouds. So there's a lot, and, and that has huge implications for the rest of the world as well, because so many turbine fields are going up around the world that we need to understand how they interact and make lightning, because that could damage them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there could be t- potential things they could do to the turbines that would help prevent them from getting hit as much. So that's pretty much the main goals of the project in a nutshell. 
Well, I think that is just very Fantastic. interesting. And we're uh, uh, you have an open invitation to uh, come back here on the podcast and share you know any findings, any results. Um, if you if you're looking for more sites, just let us know. Yep. Uh, you know this Thanks. is right up our alley uh, here on the podcast. So fantastic work, sir. Thank you, and thank you for having me on here and to talk about it. I'll be more than happy. Let's say February or March, we should have some hopefully initially great results awesome. that I'd be happy to share with you guys um, down the road. And if we get more snow this winter, we know who to blame, Ron. Yeah. You know, we yeah. will know who to find yeah. for that. I, I neighbors, whenever I walk, I can, and it's snowing, I can feel like arrows coming out of their <laughs> No, this is fantastic. And I'm actually going to send this out to, uh, uh, in particular, to our um, FFA programs across uh, the county because... I can see the uh, the uh, ag teachers having a strong interest in this with their students. Um, so we'll get this out there, to, out there to everybody to uh, start to learn from and such. And, and and I do want to say, lake effect processes throughout the year have huge impacts on agriculture because during the summer, the lake effect is the opposite. It kind of can dry things out mm -hmm. and help determine where the rain falls. And that I have to only imagine that has huge implications for farming. And well, it, it sure did this year. Yeah. yeah and that, yeah. this year was so unique in how, you know, we, we had a lot of rain up until about the end of the second week of June or no, it was actually, uh, well, it was fairly dry the first two weeks of May. Then it rained for three weeks straight. And it just seemed like, the lake was enhancing rain for those three weeks. Mm. Then it turned, it stopped around June 6th and it did not. And then we just saw the lake yeah. just dry the rain right up. Well, that's, you know, I, I, I've taught my family uh, because they have to put up with me and listen to all this stuff that I talk about, but I've taught them to look at the, the lake shadow effect that we yeah. get during the summertime and you can see, you know, if you pay attention, you can see the, the thunderstorms, rainstorms, whatever, south of Lake Ontario, north of Lake Ontario, but not coming over us. You can watch them if you watch radar. You can watch them dissipate as they're and starting to And then reform the over the Tug Hill. Yeah, once they get past the Tug Hill, then they reform. Yeah, and blow right up. And, oh, it was so frustrating this summer. We went, <laughs> we went like five weeks where... You know, if you weren't under a rain cloud, you got nothing. And and yeah. the rain clouds, the the those thunder showers were were so spotty. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was really a unique summer. One that I, from a weather systems, was something I've never seen before. And then you get this lake effect rain event Tuesday. It's still agricultural season, and I'm sure there was some flooding. I mean, we we had yes. almost four inches of rain in Oswego on Tuesday. Right. Lake effect rain if that lake wasn't there we wouldn't have gotten that rain and it, it just that was a really neat event quote-unquote neat event to study because um normally lake effect rain doesn't drop that much rain but some places got probably four to maybe five inches of rain from yeah that. there was definitely flash flooding it's impacted a lot of harvest activities down in that region yeah the, um, the southern jefferson yeah uh, but more uh northern oswego County. yeah it's uh it, it that was uh that was a 
a really unique event to just uh, come out of nowhere almost. Oh, if there's ways we can help you down the road too is for weather forecasting, we'd be more than happy to. <laughs> well, you you have just become the official yeah. <laughs> J. Madison's Rural America meteorologist. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> now, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Steiger. This has been fun. It's been uh, really interesting. And uh, like, I, like I said at the beginning, Ron and I just love talking about this type of stuff. And uh, so you've, you've really hit the mark with us and appreciate you being willing to share this information uh, for our listeners here on the podcast. Great. No, it's my, my pleasure, Jane, Ron. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So that was Dr. Scott Steiger. He is professor of meteorology at SUNY Oswego, also director of the Lake Effect Storm Prediction and Research Center. And uh, really great, Ron. Uh, uh, man, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's like you said, Jay, right up our alley. So <laughs> actually very informative. And uh, it's really it's really interesting that this work is going on at the university so close to us. And uh Really look forward to keeping tabs on this yeah, going yeah. forward. We'll keep our finger on it, and we know who to blame if yeah, we get a lot yeah, of snow. So, yeah. All right, folks, that's a wrap for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you come back every week to Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.